I just want to welcome all the online people. So good to be with you. Thank you for joining us online. Uh, we miss your beautiful faces in person, but we're sending our love via the screen to you. Uh, a few more announcements for us. Uh, every week we take an offering. It's just a way to help pay for our ministry. So it pays for childcare, books, and tech. So if you want to give, thank you so much, but there's no obligation to give. This is a free ministry. We want you to encounter the word of God and be loved. So we have a women's conference coming up. And if you have not signed up yet, today is the day to sign up. It's going to be awesome. We're going to talk about unleashing the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so uh, it's going to be an awesome conference. It's a great chance for us to be together as women, to worship together, to gather, to have fun, to hear a word from God, and also just to celebrate what it means to be his daughters. And so if you've never come, please come sign up. Uh, it's $35 if you join us in person. Uh, it is free if you want to go online. You just need to register so we can make sure to give you the link. So we hope that you can make it there and enjoying uh, just a good weekend. It's a Friday night and a Saturday. So good time with the ladies. And we have a walking prayer group. I think I announce this every week, but some of you, if you didn't bring walking shoes, I want to announce it so you can bring walking shoes next week. It's 12 o'clock. They meet right across uh, on the steps of the church, and they do about a 45-minute, 50-minute, just easy walk around Eagle Rock. They pray for people, uh, pray for each other, pray for the campus. And so if you're a walker who wants to pray, I want to encourage you, join, meet up. Tanya usually leads that group on the other side of the street. Uh, join them at 12 o'clock for that today. And last but not least, baskets. Uh, one of the fun things about Women's Conference is we raise money for Kingdom, but we do, do a raffle with baskets. And so we're looking for literal, actual wicker baskets because <laughs> every year we have about 20, 20 gifts that are donated and we give them away in baskets and then we never have baskets. And one woman came up to us last year and is like, oh, I wish I would have known. I just did my spring cleaning and donated them all. So we're telling you now, if you have a basket or two lying around at home and you're like, hey, this has got to go to Goodwill, if you would just bring it here and donate it, that'd be awesome. And then we'll use that to build our gifts. So you can bring that next week if you want. And last but not least, we have women's prayer groups uh, available. There's like seven or eight of them, I believe, that are available at different times. So if you're in a season that either you just need prayer, maybe you're not, you don't feel that familiar with prayer, but you're like, I'd love if someone prayed for me, you can feel free to join these groups. And if you're a prayer warrior that is like, I want to pray with other women, I encourage you to check those out because we have women all over praying for the city, for our communities, for our families. I don't want you to miss that if you haven't had an experience of praying with other women. It's powerful. So that's all of our announcements for today. We are going to dive into the John 11, which is an amazing book. So before we do that, let me just pray for us and invite Jesus to come and minister the way that he does. Lord Jesus, oh, we love you, God. We love you. We love that you came to die for us, Lord, that there's hope in you, that there's life in you, Father. And so I pray, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would make yourself known. Father, in a whole new way. Some of us have followed you our whole lives. Some of us are just exploring who you are. God, would you meet each woman where they're at today? And would you reveal more of your truth, more of your goodness, more of your hope, more of your power? Lord, for those of us who are far from you today, God, would you come near to us, Lord, and be real and tangible and present? So God, I invite you to be here in this space and have your way. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, it is Wednesday morning, and if you're like me, I can tend to zone out a little bit. So I want to give you the big message before we dive in, in case I say something and you trail off, or you know, you think about a kid, or you like get a text and you lose it. So I just want to be really clear. You get the main points, and then we'll we'll unpack this together. Two points I want you to take away from today's lesson. One is that Jesus is a dear friend. 
Jesus is a dear friend. Jesus has a lot of names and a lot of titles and a lot of ways that we relate to him. He is king, he is author of our faith, he's our savior, he's our God, he's Lord of lords. But another title that is so intimate about Jesus is that he is a dear, dear friend. And some of us grew up with church backgrounds that don't teach that Jesus is a friend. It teaches God in the sky who's looking down and kind of judging and shaming and upset with us when we do things wrong. That is not the Jesus that we believe in and that's not the Jesus we walk with and serve. Our Jesus is a friend. He cares about you intimately. He knows you on a relational depth that, believe it or not, not even your girlfriends know you. Isn't that crazy? Now, some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, not my girlfriends, they know everything about me. Um, and I'm sure that's true, and I'm so excited about that for you. Um, but Jesus knows you. He knows your past. He knows where you've been. He knows where you come from. He knows the plans and purposes that he designed you with. He knows what you're feeling at any given second. He knows what you're thinking every moment. Jesus knows you, and he loves you. That's the quality of a good friend is that they love you regardless of your weaknesses, regardless of your flaws. They just know you and they connect with you. And Jesus is that for us. Jesus offers to be our friend. And so if you've never had a friendship with Jesus, I wanna invite you into that today. And you're gonna see in the story what a friend Jesus was to those who walked, he walked with and he offers that same friendship to us. The second thing I want you to see today, if you're a zoner, there is no judgment about zoning. I zone out all the time. Uh, second thing I want you to see today is Jesus is the only one who can resurrect what is dead and bring new life. He's the only one who has power to take what is dead and make it alive. And you'll see this in our culture. We're all trying to figure out ways to resurrect things, right? I mean, how, many, how much money is put into the science industry and in trying to, to make women's skin look younger, right? Like, we're not facing death, we're getting younger, right? There's so many different things in our culture that are geared towards how do we resurrect this? How do we make this new? How do we make this alive? How do we look better? How do we feel better? How do we get rid of this? Jesus is the only one that can take something that is dead and bring it to life because he's the author of life and he's the only one who's conquered death. So we're gonna read read about that today, but uh, I hope no one zones, but if you do, this is safe company, we're all girlfriends. We love you. So anyways, um, today, I I don't know why, I felt a little spicy today. I only had, I don't have three points. I think three is a very holy number, but instead I'm doing six points today because that's what came to me. So we're just gonna kind of read through and I'm gonna highlight little points and then we're gonna close our time with some prayer today. So let's dive in, John 11. You can follow along in your books or it'll be on the screen or you can just listen. Uh, But we're diving into John 11 and this is what it said. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. You, know, you might remember this if you've read the Bible before. Mary came, poured oil over him, washed his feet with her hair as a sign of utmost respect and worship that you are the king. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So the first point if you're taking notes today is our truest identity is as God's beloved. Our truest identity 
is as God's beloved. We're in a 10-week sermon series right now called The Real ID, what our real identity is, and we're unpacking what it means that our identity comes through Jesus Christ alone and what he did on the cross. You are loved. It does not come from your feelings. It does not come from your actions. It does not come from the life you've built, either on Instagram or in real life. It does not come from people's opinions of you. It does not depend on what you feel or think about yourself. Our real identity comes from Jesus Christ. That's an invitation and a gift he gives us. And so we see right here, notice this, the sister sent word to Jesus, the one you love is sick. They didn't even use his name. They didn't even reference our brother. They knew that Jesus loved their brother, and so they sent word of it to him. The one you love is sick. We know you care. We know that you're for him. We want you to know the one you care about and love, he's experiencing trial right now. I love that they didn't include the name or anything else. And this is what I love too. It says in verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister. Do any of you remember the story of Mary and Martha? This is kind of, this is a popular one um, in parables. But Jesus was, was, it's an actual story that happened. Mary and Martha were waiting to receive Jesus. And Martha was so worried about hosting him well, about doing everything right, that she was in the kitchen, she was cleaning, she was doing all these things to get ready for Jesus. And Mary, on the other hand, Mary just sat at the feet of Jesus. And in the end, Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better, it will not be taken from her. God doesn't need us to be busybodies for him and do everything and make sure everything's right. God wants us to sit at his feet, to listen to him, to be with him. So we learned that in that story, but notice what it says. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister. You see, God is constantly rewriting our story. Notice that he didn't highlight Mary here. God loved Mary and her sister who was a busybody. He names Martha. He names the one who was striving and doing things wrong for him. That's who he names in love first, which is a place of honor. He calls out Martha. You see, even though we make mistakes, even though we miss Jesus sometimes, even though we panic and go overboard, God loves us, Jesus loves us, and he speaks that over him. He says, these are my friends that I love. God is constantly rewriting your story, so I don't know the message you've written in your own head about yourself. If you feel like you're a Martha, and maybe you've done something wrong, or maybe you feel like the Lord's dismissed you, or he's more, more interested in your sister, or your girlfriend Mary, That's not who Jesus is. Jesus sees us and he loves us, not based on our actions, not what we do right or wrong, but because he knows us, because he created us intimately. I love that about our God. So your truest identity is as God's beloved. There's so many things we could talk about on this topic, but because we're limited, I wanna encourage you to jump into our sermon series. Uh, Tom gave an awesome message this last week to kick it off, but journey with us. What does it mean that your truest identity is as God's beloved? But let's carry on. John 11, uh, jumping to verse nine, it says, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. 
Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Second point I see for us today is that in Christ, we do not have to be afraid of death. In Christ, we do not have to be afraid of death. Watch how Jesus responds. Jesus says it so plainly. He's like, oh, Lazarus is sleeping. We must go to him. He doesn't panic. He's not worried. He's not like, oh my gosh, he's on the brink. You guys, we gotta get back. We gotta start this long journey home. There's no fear in Jesus because Jesus knows that he has conquered death. He will conquer death on the cross and that there's life on the other side of death. There is no need to be afraid of death. Jesus says when you walk in the light, you can't stumble. It's when you walk in the dark. It's when you walk in untruth. One of Satan's main tactics to get you and I out of Jesus's grace, his goodness for us, is to use fear against us, right? He makes us afraid, he makes us tremble. He puts us in isolation in the dark and we start stumbling. But the reality is God already knows your story. I'm gonna read you Psalm 139, it says, your eyes saw my unformed body, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. You and I come with an expiration date. All of our days are written out before you and I are even born. And so Jesus says you don't need to be afraid of death. There's nothing you can do to avoid it. There's nothing you can do to miss it. God knows the exact hour that he will call you home. And so Jesus says, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to worry because I have overcome death. You see, all those who believe in Jesus, he makes a way for us to have eternal life so that death is not the end. Death is an entry to the next life, a better life with God where there's no more tears, there's no more mourning, there's no more sadness. And so Jesus, you see just in this calm attitude, he's like, oh yeah, he's sleeping, you know, we're gonna go. And he's like, no, he's actually dead, but I'm glad that we're going. Like, he's not afraid of death. And so often Satan, I believe, can bully us into being afraid of, well, we don't know, we don't know what's gonna happen, what's, go what's it gonna be, ha ha. We can lose our joy, our hope, our peace, our mission right here, right now, focusing on the worst case scenario. And Jesus says, you do not need to be afraid. All who are in me will receive eternal life. You will be with me in heaven. Jesus' reaction to Lazarus' death shows his power over death, that he's not concerned. And Jesus, he knows he has the power that anyone who believes in Jesus will be raised from the dead to new life. And so death is not something that has to box us in or fear us or control us on earth because what it will do is it'll rob you and I of the glory and the goodness of our days here, right? Jesus says, walk in the light, walk in the truth that I'm with you, that I'm for you. You don't need to be afraid of this. Satan would love if you just gave over to fear and ruined your whole life, just being constantly anxious and nervous. And he says, I know all your days. There's nothing you can do to change it. I've already written your life out in my book. Now live in freedom. Walk in the light, walk in the truth. Be free in me because I have overcome death. In Christ, we do not need to be afraid of death. And then this is just a little side note, because I feel like I had to give Thomas a shout out. For any of you guys have known, he has a bad rap of being doubting Thomas, because he, you know, he doubts Jesus at one point, but I just want to call out this brother. L look at him. He's kind of lost. He doesn't get what Jesus is saying. He says to the rest of the disciples, <clears throat> let us go also, that we may die with him. Okay, now Thomas is loyal 
Thomas doesn't get what's happening. He thinks, okay, they almost tried to kill Jesus last time. Now Jesus wants to go. He's going to die. Let's go with him to die. So Thomas is walking, he thinks, to his death. That's not a doubter. That's a loyal guy. So I just want to give Thomas, I don't know. I think he gets a bad rap, and I just, I want to honor him today. So the loyal Thomas is what I call him. All right, so carrying on in John 11, it says, on his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus and had already, had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who is to come into the world. This brings us to our third point. Jesus is the true resurrection. You see, the problem is the solution to your trial, to your crisis, to your current situation, it's never something. Something's never gonna come along and solve your issues. The answer is always someone. It's always Jesus. Only Jesus has the power to resurrect. Only Jesus can turn what is dead into life. You see, he holds the power of the universe. He's the Lord of all. He created and authored life. And nobody but the creator can control and rule and bless and empower creation, right? You have to have the keys of that power to be able to do the, the death to life. And so some of us, I just believe that some of us are trapped in, in many or large seasons of what just feels like death, feels like heaviness, it feels like grief, it feels like you're stuck and there is no hope. And we think, well, what do I have to do? I have to find something or a solution to fix this. Like what will, what will fix my marriage? What, what will help my kids? What, what will heal my body? What, what will make me understand my identity? I have to, I have to go find a solution. We spend a lot of time trying to find solutions in this world when Jesus says so clearly, he says, I am the resurrection. If something is dead, you come to me to talk about it. You come to me with hope. You present it to me in faith. He says, do you believe? Now you might have heard of this for somebody else. Oh yeah, she believed and this happened, but I don't, I don't know about for me if God would do that for me. God doesn't promise to heal every single one of us when we ask. God doesn't answer prayers immediately just the way we hope. But in faith, we have the authority as children to ask him, to present it to him, to say, Lord, would you redeem this? Would you heal this? Would you make this new? Would you bring life back into my marriage? Would you give me hope in my job that just feels like it's going downhill? Would, would you heal this depression in me? Would you give me life where there is death? And we don't control the outcomes, but what we do have control of is placing ourselves in front of the true resurrection, of saying, Jesus, I don't know if you're willing, but if you're willing, this is what I need. This is where I'm at my last, my last thread. This is where I feel like there's no hope. This is where I feel like I've been stuck for years. 
Jesus says, do you believe? Will you come to me? Will you present that to me instead of trying to fix it yourself? Because if you're trying to resurrect the dead and bring it to life, the reality is you're not gonna be able to apart from me, Jesus says. He says, invite me into that. And so I wonder today for you, if there's any places inside of you, if there's any relationships, if there's any hurt, if there's trauma, if there's pain, if there's heaviness, that you just need to simply ask the Lord today, God, would you resurrect this? Could you bring life into this, even though it feels so broken? My situation feels impossible. Would you, in your goodness and mercy over me, would you bring life into what feels dead? I believe Jesus invites his children the space to ask him that. And so we're gonna spend some time praying later on, but if there's something you wanna ask God for, I wanna do that in faith with you and I want your sisters to do that with you because Jesus says he's the true resurrection and the life. Where do you need life? Jesus is the only answer to life, nothing else. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. When we believe in Jesus, even though we're dead in our transgressions, we're meaning that we're prone to sin, we're prone to things that we think will fix us and sometimes hurt us and other people, even when we were there, Jesus made us alive in Christ. He gave us new life, not based on our works, based on grace. And so we go to the cross and we ask for resurrection in grace, not based on our works, not based on our merit. We say, Jesus, by your grace, would you come in and bring life to this that feels dead? That's the authority we have as his children to ask that. Carrying on, John 11, 28 through 35. It says, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Fourth point we see here is that Jesus cares deeply for you. Jesus cares deeply for you. Some of us can have the idea that God is on the sideline judging our lives, waiting for us to get things right, waiting for us to figure them out, waiting us to fix that solution, waiting for us to get over ourselves, that he's not an involved God. But this Jesus, our Jesus, is a God of great compassion. Lamentations 3.22 said, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. Do you know that Jesus is compassionate towards you? I don't know your worldview of God. I don't know how you grew up or how you were taught that God responds to you and acts to you. But the reality is God is compassionate towards you. He cares for you. We see Jesus go to the tomb. And if you'll remember, Jesus knew that Lazarus was dead and he knew he was gonna resurrect him. And yet he wept. 
He was moved with compassion. There's a few, I, it does, the Bible doesn't say why Jesus cried. I think there's a few reasons um, that could be why he cried. I think when Jesus realized that his friend had passed, Jesus might have thought how scared Lazarus was in those last days, that his best friend wasn't there. Lazarus was probably thinking if Jesus was here, I wouldn't have to die as he got worse and worse and worse. And I wonder if Jesus just wept thinking of his poor friend who felt abandoned and alone and Jesus wasn't there. And I also wonder if Jesus just realized the severity of death. When we don't know Jesus, there, there's no hope. And if Jesus saw this tomb and thought of all the other tombs that were out there that didn't yet know him, that didn't have the chance to receive his salvation, to receive eternal life, if Jesus' heart just broke, thinking about how many people live a, a troubled and hard life without him, without his hope, without his forgiveness, without his grace. And another part of me wonders if Jesus went to the tomb and realized how close his own death was. If he looked that in the face and said, oh, I'm next. This was the last miracle Jesus did before he died. And so we don't know why Jesus was crying, but what I want us to see in that is that Jesus is a God who is moved by us, moved by our story. He cries over what we cry for. He laughs with us when we laugh. Jesus is not up in the sky looking down, judging you, as some of us have been taught. Jesus is with you in your emotions and your pains. That's what makes a good girlfriend, right? Someone who can get in there with you and understand and validate and, and sob with you when something's hard and laugh with you and rejoice with you when something's good. That's the kind of friend Jesus is. He cares deeply for you. And so if you've never experienced Jesus's care in an intimate area of your life, uh, I want you to invite him to show you what that looks like, that he's weeping with you, that your grief is his grief, that your despair is his despair, that your joy is his joy. That's who our God is. He cares deeply for you, not on a superficial level, but in a real gut, visceral way that when you're sick, Jesus is sad. And when you're in your best season, Jesus is right there cheering you on. He's with you and he cares for you. That's the kind of friend Jesus is. Carrying on to John 11. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he have, who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Amen. The fifth point that we see today is in order for us to receive life, we have to be willing to roll away the stone. In order for us to receive life, we have to be willing to roll away the stone. So check this, Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows that, right? He's already got the plan. And then he commands someone, he says, take away the stone. Now, if you know Jesus, if you've been around, he's healed some blind people, he's, he's healed some people from the dead. Do you think it was hard for Jesus to move the stone by himself? You think it wouldn't have been a little like, whoosh, 
could have set up a little magic entrance, could have had dramatic music, could have had the light shine on Lazarus when he came out. Why do you think Jesus asked somebody else to remove the stone? Because it required faith. The body had been in there four days and it would have been an awful smell. And here was the whole community that came out to grieve with Mary and Martha and it would have been embarrassing for them as the hosts of this time to release that stench to all their guests for everyone to be sitting in it and wondering why did we do this, right? It was a leap of faith. And Jesus says, I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. The same is true for us. Jesus says, all of you, have places in your heart that you've covered and you've stuffed and sin that you've buried that smells so bad. Just messes and chaos, things you don't want anyone else to see. And Jesus says, the only way I can come in there and bring life is if you take away the stone. I'm not gonna remove that for you. I'm not gonna out you. I'm not gonna expose you. Will you reveal the parts that are broken in you? Will you let me in to those places? Do you trust that if you remove the stone and all your stench comes out, that I'm big enough and loving enough to change that reality? That I can resurrect what feels dead in you, what is dead in you, what's not alive? Do you believe in me? You see, so often it's easier for us to just cover up our pain, our trauma, our mistakes, and what happens is it just starts to rot in us. And you know, you know this feeling, if you've ever been jealous or bitter or angry or hurt or unforgiving, these things just have a way of manifesting and that odor, like a, like a dead body odor, just grows inside of us deeper and deeper. And Jesus says, I'm a gentleman, I am not going to make that stone roll away. You have to remove it if you want me to come into those parts. And you have to believe that I am willing and I'm big enough to take care of the mess that you're trying to hide. Are you willing to roll away the stone to let Jesus into those parts? That's when Jesus can begin to do his Jesus work, when he can be the God of transformation, the God of new life, the God of new beginnings, the God of hope, the God who can restore what is broken. But if we are unwilling to let him into those parts, Jesus is a gentleman. He will never force himself in. He says, I stand at the door and knock, and until you let me in, I will not come in. But if you let me in, I will make my home in you. I will give you new life there. And I wonder today if there's any of you that are dying on the inside, carrying either the weight, <clears throat> the shame, the condemnation, the guilt of something that you were not meant to carry. That's something that's, that's Satan's business when he wants us to be stuck in a place or embarrassed or ashamed and keep all that stench inside of us. And Jesus says, that stuff doesn't scare me. That's the business I'm here about. That's what I want to resurrect. That's where I want you to let me in. Will you roll away the stone? Do you believe I can bring new life there? So that's my invitation for you this week, that you would think about what are you covering from Jesus? Where do you need deep healing? Where do you need hope? And what would it look like for you to let him in to that place? Now, we're not gonna read the rest of the chapter <clears throat> because there's a lot of stuff um, that happens in the, rest of the, in the rest of the things that we just don't have time to read, but re basically the Pharisees get wind of this and they start to say, this can't happen. <clears throat> Jesus is starting to usurp us. He's starting to outshine us and outshow us. And if people start getting a hint that Jesus is who he says he is, we're out of business, right? Their pride rules their lives. They have to remain in control and in power. And so what they're willing to do to stay in their status is murder Jesus. And sometimes when we don't check our pride, we can get 
in ugly situations where we are willing to silence people or things that stand in the place of our glory. And I see that in the Pharisees so clearly that they're willing to take Jesus out so that they can remain comfortable at the top in good status, in good reputation with the community. They're willing to murder to stay there which is a scary thing about all of us, is that all of us have a tendency to protect ourselves, to protect other people, and hurt others potentially at the cost of it. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus says, I'm here to give you new life, to break that pattern that's in the Pharisees that want to, wants to protect them and their wealth and their power more than the common good, more than seeing other people get healed. They just want their life the way they want it. And so the closing lesson that I see for us today, it was a small one that happened earlier on, but I think it's timely for this season. Uh, the sixth lesson that I, I pulled that I wanna, want us to end on is this, this truth that delays are determined by God for his glory. Delays are determined by God for his glory. And you saw this in the beginning of the story uh, when Jesus didn't get up immediately and run to Lazarus when he heard he was sick. He waited two days now, God could, God could have healed him from a distance, right? We've seen that. Jairus came. He says, go, your daughter. Your daughter, well, he healed Jairus' daughter. But there was another ruler that came, and he says, go, your child will be healed. Jesus didn't need to be there. That's the kind of power that Jesus has. But Jesus waited two days and let his good friend die so that his plans and purposes could put him on display. And some of you, I feel like, might be in a season where you're waiting, right? You've prayed it feels, the answer feels delayed. It feels frustrating. It's disconcerting. You're, you're angry. You're upset. You don't understand. You feel like maybe God's missed you. I want you to be encouraged that God's delays are always for his glory. He does his best work in the waiting. And so some of you, if you're close to the brink of losing hope, I wanna tell you, don't lose hope. God knows where you're at. God sees your story and he's always using all of the pieces of our life for his good. He's always making something new out of the brokenness of our mess. And sometimes the longer it takes, the more glory he gets and the more precious that redemption is. If he hadn't let Lazarus die, it would have been a healing miracle that maybe would have not gone out. Maybe people wouldn't have known. Maybe people wouldn't have seen the power of what Jesus can do. And so some of you are in situations where it feels like, why have I not seen results yet? I want to encourage you and I want to pray for you today that God is working. And if there's a delay, give it to God for his glory. Say, God, use this for whatever you need it to be. Get all the glory and do something bigger than I could ask, hope, or imagine. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a friend who loves us, Father, that you know us intimately. God, that you, you care about us so deeply. It's hard to fathom, Lord, what kind of friend you are. So I pray that you'd reveal that to us, God, even this week. And Lord, right now, I just, God, I invite you just to be near us, like a good friend, to sit next to us as we just tap into our heart, Lord. What's going on in there? Where do we need you? What feels dead inside of us, Lord? What feels hopeless? What is something that is just reeking with stench, Lord? It it's not, doesn't have to be something we did. It could be something that was done to us, Lord. What, what is hurting us that you want so badly to heal in your tenderness, Father? I pray that you be with each woman right now, Father, that there would be the presence of your love and also the presence of your power, Lord, to do what only you can do, Father. Only you can heal. Only you can save. Only you can resurrect what is dead, and so, Father, right now, just as a simple offering, God, we open our hearts to you for the things that we need 
that we cannot fix on our own, Lord? Would you say, just in silence, in your own heart, in your own head, would you tell Jesus where you need him? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you hear our cries, that you know us, God, that you care for us. Father, I pray you'd minister to each woman here today, that you would experience your life, God, where there feels like death, your hope, where there might be despair, Father. We believe you are making all things new, God, and that your timing is perfect, Lord. So right now we surrender the things we want right now immediately, and we ask that your timing would give you the most glory and us the best, God. You always have the best for us in store. So I bless each woman here, Father. In the mighty power of Jesus, would she know your friendship, your love, and your resurrecting power this week. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen.